can be seated. Scoot that back. Good evening, everybody. My name is Drew Remke, and I am one of the pastors here at Redeemer El Ain. And it is my pleasure and my privilege today to be able to share the Word of God with you guys. We're going to be in Genesis 42 through 45. And so this, you know, is really one of the greatest stories in all of Scripture. I mean, it's like straight out of a movie script. This is such a fabulous story to read and such an important one for us to, to know as the people of God that uh, what I've decided to do today is, is I'm going to spend a lot of time just retelling this story because I want us to be people that know God's Word. And I want us to be people that, you know, we, we can recall and, and collect about how God is sovereignly in control of all things. And, and really, I think the main point of these passages today is, is just that. That God is working and God is in control and He's in sovereign control of all the details. And He is one that we can trust. That He is one who's going to be fulfilling His promises. And so, that being said... I want to take time just to let this story kind of soak in with us as I kind of retell 42 through 45. And I'll have a couple of takeaways there at the end, but really this, just, just think and picture and, and imagine and dream with me of kind of this story of, of Joseph being reunited with his brothers and with his family. So let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Lord God, as we open and look to your word tonight, Lord, would you stir our hearts in love for you? Would, would you help us to see the way, Lord, that you are the one who is in sovereign control of all things, and you are the one that we can trust. We love you, Lord. Be with us in our time. Give us the focus that we need. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we're at Genesis 42, which means that in the, almost a year now, we've been working through, you know, all the kind of the patriarchs and kind of hearing these stories. How do we get here? How do we get to Joseph in Egypt, right? So we had Isaac, and Isaac had a couple kids. Um, his kids were um, Jacob and Esau, and they didn't get along all that well. Um, their family dynamic was complicated, right? But Jacob kind of, you know, gets the, gets the blessing, and he kind of moves forward with, with God's people. And he kind of goes out, and then he finds himself a, a lady that he falls in love with, Rachel, and he wants her hand, and so he worked for it. And then on the night of his wedding, there's the old kind of switcheroo that happens, and he wakes up in the morning and realizes that he's married to the wrong woman. You know, it was, oh, you know, Certainly a more than slight clerical error on that one. So he keeps working to get Rachel's hand. And then as he marries her, and as John mentioned a few weeks ago, began like the arms race of children where Leah, uh, his, his first wife, bears him ten children. Rachel, his second, brings him two. And, you know, life kind of moves forward. And then he had a favorite son, the oldest of of, of Rachel, and this oldest son, you know, was, was the one that he kind of sh 
showered his affections for. And the other brothers didn't like it. But kind of in the middle of all this, Genesis 35 happens where the blessing that was, that was there is passed on to Jacob, where it says, God appeared to Jacob again when he came to Paddan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob no longer. You shall be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations will come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. In the land that I give Abraham I, and Isaac, I give to you, and I will give you this land to your offspring uh, after you. So there's this promise that his offspring are going to be the ones that, you know, kind of carry on this line. And likely, I'm, I'm just going to speak positively, optimistically, he thought, oh, like, Rachel is my real wife. That's the one I really wanted. And so, you know, that Joseph is probably the oldest. Like, that's the one that's going to kind of carry on the family line. But eventually, you know, the, the brothers turned on Joseph. They're out in the field one day, and Joseph comes to him and says, hey, guys, I had this crazy dream last night. You guys were all worshiping me. And the brothers said, all right, that's it. That's enough of this. Threw him in a pit deciding whether or not to kill him, sell him to slave traders, take him to Egypt, where it seems like that'd be pretty rough. But the Lord continues to work through Joseph. He was in first in Potiphar's house, then he's in jail, and then eventually the Pharaoh has a dream. He interprets the dream for the Pharaoh of this upcoming famine. Which brings us to the end of, you know, 41, where life is kind of moving forward now and he's kind of like the governor of Egypt and he's in this kind of position of of favor because he was able to understand this and interpret this dream for the for the pharaoh and he gets married and he has a couple of kids and in verse 51 it talks about his two kids he says Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh for he said God has made me forget all my hardships in all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. It seems like, hey, for Joseph, like it's, it's, it's turning out all right, you know? Manasseh, God has made me forget the hardships in, my, in all my father's house. It seems like, okay, great job. You know, that, that, that's, that's wonderful. And we can just kind of move on. Now he's, he's 38 years old and he's in control. He's in, he's in power and he's, and he's kind of, he's doing these things and he's, he's working in the giftings that, that God has given him to, to manage. But then we come to where we are today. And back in Canaan, back with his father and his 11 other brothers, things were not going so well. They did not have the dream where they did not know what was coming with this famine. And they did not have the storehouses of grain. And so when the famine came, they had nothing. And they grew hungry. And so, and as a turn in verse 42, I mean, chapter 42, Jacob looks at his sons and he says, Hey, I hear there's grain in Egypt. We need for you guys to go to Egypt and bring us some grain so that we can survive. So he sends his, 
ten sons of Leah down to buy grain. Now he keeps, he keeps Benjamin with him. Benjamin was his, what he understood to be his only surviving son from Rachel, um, which is one, you know, not abnormal. Um, I, for some of you guys that are from different cultures around the world, some of you guys that have lived here for a long time, often when people are married to multiple spouses, you know, when they send their kids to do something, they're from that same spouse. So he basically sends the children of Leah there because he's keeping Benjamin with him, his, now his, seems like his beloved child. And this is about two decades, it's over 20 years from the time that, that Joseph um, departed from them. So he, he sends them on this journey to go buy grain. And, you know, this is a long ways. And this is like from here to Rasulchaimah, all right? And they would have to walk, you know, that distance, buy the things they need, and then walk back. So he sends them. And as they come to the point to buy grain, there is Joseph, and he is the one who's actually overseeing, and he's responsible for the distribution of the grain. Which, as he's there, he sees these ten brothers come in, and he recognizes them. Right? He's like, I know these guys. He would know their address, he would know the language they're speaking, he would know who they were. But amazingly, they didn't recognize him, which I was thinking, okay, so Joseph was 17 when he was, when he was taken and sold to slaves. Um, and then now he'd be about 38. And I was not that long ago, 38. And what I looked like at 38 and looked like at 17 are not exactly the same. Uh, I changed a little bit. I keep a couple extra kilos to keep me warm in the winter than I did when I was 17, you know. I, my hair is a slightly different shade of white than it was when I was 17. They didn't recognize him, you know. And so he, he didn't just immediately come up to them and say, you're my brothers. In fact, I can't imagine what was happening in his head when he saw his brothers come in, right? He just said, the Lord has caused me to forget these things with Manasseh, and yet hear his brothers come in to buy grain from him. So he begins by speaking to them roughly. He speaks to them in the, you know, first of all, in their Egyptian language, not in their, the language that would have spoken in Canaan. And he says, what are you guys doing here? Are you guys spies? Is that what you're here for? And they said, no, 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 no. We're not spies. We're brothers. Uh, we're, we're, we're 12 of the same brothers from the, of, this, of the same man, of your servant in Canaan. And they and they go on to say, you know, one of our, one of our brothers is, is back with our father, but we're just here to, to buy grain for our starving families. So in many ways, this confirms exactly who they are to Joseph right from the start. And so then Joseph says to him, well, where's your other brother? Bring your other brother back here. Send one to go. And they said, no, no, we, we can't. Because the father said, no, Benjamin's not coming. So what he does is he throws them in jail. So all ten of them go to jail for three days. And then he comes back and says, all right, you guys can get out of jail, but listen, one of you stays here with me. So they bind up Simeon there in front of, front of the other brothers and says, go on your way, take your grain back to your families. But if you want to see my face again, you must bring your other brother with you. 
So away they went. They're heading back on that journey back to where their families are. They stopped to feed their donkeys at one point, and they realized, hey, wait, our silver is still there in our bag. They had put it back in their bags before they went. And they're like, man, what is, what is happening here? What's going on? This is so strange. But they get home, and they, and they see their father, and they explain to their father exactly what had happened. And they said, oh, there's this man, there's this governor, and he spoke roughly to us. He accused us of being spies. And he said that if we ever come back, we have to bring Benjamin with us. And his father was like, why did you tell him there was another son? Like, what's going on? You can't go down with him. There's no way. He's the only one left, and no harm can come from him on this journey. He says, you will bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. He's like, no, like, Benjamin going and harm coming his way would kill me. That's the end of chapter 42. He says, you can't do that. But we know from last week that this famine was going to be seven years. So they were a year into this famine. They went down, they bought grain, they came back, and then they ate through that grain. That's what happens. They weren't getting more, right, because it was a famine. And so they said, okay, we have to go back. We have to procure more, otherwise we're going to starve. So Jacob realizes this is the reality and says, all right, here's what you're going to do. You're going to bring some gifts with you. You know, some, some things of the land, some balm, some honey, some, you know, some myrrh, some, some of the nuts from there. And so this was like, hey, you know, we can, we can bring good gifts. This is a common thing in the Middle East, you know, that you bring gifts to somebody that you're meeting of importance. And so he sends them in the hopes that with these gifts and then with double the silver that they'll be able to buy the grain, bring Reuben back, and Benjamin will be able to return with them. Um, back to their land. But as they go, he sends them out, and he says in verse 14, May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send you back with your brother Benjamin. And as for me, I am bereaved of my children. I am bereaved. So he's sending them off thinking, My children are done. I'll probably never see Simeon again. He's probably off building a pyramid somewhere in Egypt. Joseph died long ago, and now they're going to take Benjamin too. And he sends them away. And as they come down, the, the brothers go down, they get to Egypt, they get back to where they were before. Joseph sees them coming. He tells his steward, prepare a meal in my house for these guys. And so they, they show up <coughs> at his house. You know, the first they go to the grain storage, they say, no, no, you've got to go to Joseph's house, which is concerning, Right? It's like if you showed up at Lulu and they said, no, no, you need to go speak to the management office first. So the first thing they do is they, they come in and say, hey, look, about the silver last time, you know, we, we don't know what happened. We don't know why it was still with us. We can pay you for it. And the steward says, no, I, I have your money. This is not about the money. Peace be with you. I have your money. So the brothers are probably looking at each other going, what are we doing in Joseph's house, the governor of Egypt? We just came to buy grain. And they come in, and they sit down, and then Simeon comes out, and he joins them, still alive. And so they're like, oh, wow, their brother, they're not sure they would ever see again. And at noon, Joseph, I guess, finished his duties, and he was, he was ready for his lunch break, and so he comes to his home. 
and they were all there. And <clears throat> he still speaks to them with his, inter- with his interpreter, right, in the Egyptian language, and he says, you know, um, what about your father? How is he? And they say that, yeah, that he is well. And then Joseph looks and he sees his brother, his full brother, Benjamin, there with him. And he lifts up his eyes, verse 29, he says, he lifts up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. He said, is this your youngest brother whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep and he entered his chamber and wept there and he washed his face and he, face, and he came out controlling him and he said, himself, he said, okay, serve the food. So he sees his brother, his full brother, for the first time. When he was separated, he was just a small child, you know, maybe even a baby. <clears throat> but now they're back there together. And he sees him and he weeps. He leaves the room and weeps. Then he comes out and he says, okay, serve the food. Still not identifying himself as to who he is. And they set up three tables and he's at the head table because he's the most important person there sitting by himself, and the Egyptians had their own table because they wouldn't eat with others that are outsiders, and then the brothers. But what's unique is that his 11 brothers, they were sat in birth order, right? And these guys are in their 30s and 40s. It's not like you can obviously look at which one's the tallest to see who goes where. But, and the brothers looked at each other and like, this is amazing. What is happening here? There's this, some weird power that they have, and they, and they enjoyed a meal together, and they said they were they ate and they drank and they were merry and Benjamin got five times what everybody else got. He was given favor. And still probably the brothers were saying, what is happening? What's going on? But the next morning, they're sent, they're loaded up with all their things and they're given their, their, their money back and they're sent to return. This is, now we're into <coughs> to, uh, 44. And so they're sent away, but Jacob, <coughs> I'm sorry, um, so they, but they, there's a plan that's in place, okay? There's a, so you're sent back to Canaan again, but this time Joseph says, put my silver cup in Benjamin's bag to his steward. So as they're, as they're heading back, he lets them go, and then later that morning says to his steward, go and, go and test these guys. So the steward catches up to them, no problem, because he's not carrying a load of donkeys loaded with grain. And he, and he pulls up to them and says, what are you doing? Why would you repay my master with this evil? The brothers are like, what are you talking about? He says, who has taken his cup, his special cup? And they're like, no, certainly it wasn't us. Like, if anybody has taken his cup, he should, he should die and we'll all be your servants. And he says, no, no. Just the one that has taken his cup will be his servant. So the guys say, yeah, of course. And so they, he goes oldest to youngest, opening their bags, showing that what's inside. Down the line until they reach Benjamin, the youngest. And he opens it up, and there it is, the silver cup. Now here's a point where there's a decision that these brothers can make. One is they could stay to be the same guys that we've seen them be over the past, you know, seven or eight chapters of Scripture where they can say, well, Benjamin, shouldn't have taken that cup. We're going to go home. They would be free of, of Rachel's 
sons. They would inherit what, was, what would be there to inherit. And they would be able to go back to their father. They could have sold out their other brother, essentially. But instead, their hearts were changed. It says they tore their clothes, they ripped their clothes in mourning, and they all turned back, all of them, back to Joseph's house. So they come back and they go before Joseph and they plead with him. Judah kind of takes, actually is the, the largest um, speech, the largest kind of monologue in all of Genesis, where he pleads with them and, and he says in 4430, and he's kind of talking about what their father said, you can't come back without Benjamin. And he says, now therefore, as soon as I come up to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, I shall bear the blame before my father and all my life. Now therefore, please, let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear and see the evil that would find my father. So Judah plead for him, let me go back. Let me serve as your servant. Let him go back. Essentially, he's, he's, he's breaking down the walls within their house between the the groups of brothers, and he says, like, I'm caring for my father. Let him go. And this is the point that hit to chapter 45 where, where Joseph can not maintain himself anymore. He sends the Egyptians out of the room, and he weeps loud enough they could all hear him, and he says, I am Joseph. I am Joseph. He reveals that he is the one that they sold to those slave traders two decades before. He says, that is me, I am him. And he says, please, is my father alive? And he, he requests about what, what's happening with his father. Is he still alive or what's going on? The brothers are speechless. They can say nothing. They, there was nothing that they could, they, they, they're, what's going to happen now? This our greatest sin in our life, our greatest iniquity we've committed, and it seems like, oh, we're being outed for it. What do we do? Now, Joseph sees this, and in verse 5, he says, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For famine has been in these land for two years, and there is yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you that sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and a lord of all his house, and the ruler of all the land of Egypt. So he says to them, man, this, there was maybe terrible things that happened, but God was working here. God had brought me to accomplish his purposes, to preserve this house. God sent me before you to preserve a remnant. This was God's working here. And he was able to kind of pull himself in the emotional appeal with his brothers back to saying, this is what the Lord is doing. 
praise be to God for what the Lord is doing. And then he has them saddle up their donkeys again and says, please go get our father and bring him here. And in verse 40, uh, chapter 45 kind of c- concludes with that, with them loading up and the Pharaoh hearing about what's going on and the Pharaoh being pleased with this and sending wagons you know, with extra goods and extra wealth for them to go back to where they return to Jacob and say, well, Dad, uh, we got a story for you. Here we are, and by the way, Joseph's still alive, and he's the governor of Egypt, and he wants us to go live there in, in Goshen. And so that's kind of where we close in this passage today. And I, and I, I know it was a long kind of retelling of those four chapters, but I but I want you guys to hold on to that and see the way that the Lord is, is working and see the way the Lord is, is sovereignly in control of all things and is, is one that we can trust even though sometimes we're in the middle of it all it seems like hardship. But there's a couple of things, a couple of thoughts that I had for us that I want you guys to just take and sit and soak with um, this week when we think about this. One is I was thinking of the brothers lowering down their bags and having it searched through. And I was thinking, man, they were like, no, we, we don't have anything to hide. We're fine. We have nothing to hide. And I was thinking of, of us, <clears throat> that for many of us, our greatest fear is somebody looking through our bag. If somebody's seeing what it is we've done in our life, of somebody seeing, maybe it's our text message history with a coworker or a friend, or maybe it's past business dealings that you've done, or maybe it's um, you know your search history on your computer, or maybe it's you know who knows what else. Your greatest fear is that that's going to be found out. To the Christian. I say to you, repent, right? Turn from those sins and knowing that it is worth it to follow Jesus, right? To, to bring those things to life either and say, and lay those at, at Christ's feet. If you've already repented of those, say, accept that forgiveness that's already been granted to you. And don't let that limit the way the Lord can work in and through you today. To those of you that are unsure of following Jesus, because I'm sure there are people that are here tonight or people that are listening to this that are yet still unsure about following Jesus, but you look into that bag of your life and you say, I can't follow the Lord. I have these things. I've done these things. This is who I am. This is my past. And let me say, the Lord knows what's in your bag. The Lord knows the roads that you've walked down. And the good news is this. Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That you are loved and accepted by Christ, regardless of what is in there from before. Turn to the family of the Lord. Right? Because we, none of us are deserving of the grace that we receive, but God still loves us, and he welcomes you into his family. Right? That, 
we were all separated from God because of our sin. But that Christ came, lived the perfect life, and he died on the cross and was born again. And that through faith in him, we are accepted as his children. So if you've, decided, you've not yet decided to follow Jesus, I ask, man, you're welcome there. Christ is welcome you in. Trust in him. So that's one thought I want to leave you guys with today is don't be afraid of the bag. None of it is a surprise to the Lord. Repent if you're a Christian. If you're not, trust in the Lord. He will love you. He'll forgive you for none of us are deserving anyway. And the last is this. I keep thinking of Joseph when he's at that point where he's with his brothers and he says that he is Joseph and they're just silent. And he kind of steps back and he kind of has this Godward lens of the way that he's seen the events that have happened around him. He says, God sent me before you to preserve life. And in my experience in this city is that so many people have faced incredible injustices in their life. They have incredible hardships. When they came here, they were lied to. They were told something by whoever was going to hire them that it was going to be like this. And they, get, and they get here and it's not that way at all. From their salary or their work schedule or even the type of work that they're doing. And from there, man, these, these things are, are tough and they're terrible. But at the same time, I, people go two directions, which is one, sit in anger and bitterness and just wait to leave. Or the second is to say, okay, these hurts are real, but they don't define me, and I can move forward and allow the Lord to work through me where I'm at. Like Joseph was allowing the Lord to work through him where he was, even though he had faced these incredible, you know, these, these remarkable kind of challenges. And so, if you've not faced those, my other challenge for you guys is, as believers, if, if you came here and this is kind of exactly what you thought, man, those injustices are happening all around us. And as a family, together, we must love one another and support one another that are facing these things to help them out because there's so much around us. And God is glorified through the way that we love and care for each other um, especially when our brothers are hurting. So let's serve them well in that. So as, as the band comes up for um, one more song of worship, I just want you guys to think of kind of two things. It's like one, am I afraid of what's in my bag and am I letting that limit who I feel like the Lord can do in and through me? And the second is if I face these past injustices, Am I sitting, just dwelling in the bitterness of it? Or am I asking the Lord, use that to show that I can still find hope in you in the middle of it all? If you haven't, man, are there those around you that you can support and love as a brother and sister in the Lord? So let me pray. Lord Jesus, as we, we praise you for your faithfulness in the in the life of, of Joseph, we praise you that 
Lord, that even as he faced these many trials, Lord, that you fulfilled your promise to make them to a people. Lord, help us to be people that would trust in your sovereign control. And that we would run to you, Lord Jesus, knowing that you are our hope in all things. I ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.